Well, hey, welcome to Tool Time, everybody. It's me, your trusty tool man, Jeff the Tool Man Nelson, here with my trusty sidekick, Steve. Uh, it's good to be here this morning, Jeff. Good with my uh, standby, your tool man, Steve Williams here. Uh, just uh, tool time, two guys who love their tools. And one who knows how to use them. Hey, easy, easy, easy. Sorry, Jeff. Easy, easy. Well, welcome back uh, from your summer vacation, Steve. I understand you finally got up there to Houghton Lake and finished that log cabin you've been talking about. I did. I finished it all by myself, and the entire structure is made of logs. Made out of logs, huh? Made out of logs, Well, Jeff. I can't wait to get up there and meet the little log woman. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> no problem, no problem, Steve. It's uh, good to be here. Another another season of tool time. We are getting ready to uh, um, teach people an important thing this season. Well, tell us what we're going to do this season. This season on tool time, we're going to be helping people uh, figure out how to rebuild their homes from the foundation up. Sounds like a big job. Ah, uh, Steve, it's a piece of cake, really. It's a piece of cake. As long as you've got the right tools. Every tool man or tool woman can complete the job as long as you've got the right tools. Well, what are you looking for? Well, the first tool that every tool man's got to have is his trusty hammer. All right, well, where's you, my hammer? Have you checked? I'm looking for my uh, hammer here, Steve. But, uh, but have, you, have you checked Steve, right here? Steve, what part of sidekick don't you understand, man? Sorry, Jeff. All right, man, let me find my hammer here. As long as you've got a good hammer, you can do anything, but you've got to be able to find your hammer. So I'm looking... Would it be like this one? Exactly like this one right here. Your trusty hammer, well-balanced, perfect for the job that you set out to do of rebuilding your home. But man does not build with hammer alone. So he also... That was kind of funny, right? All right, kind of, all right. We wrote this. Okay. Man does not build with, with hammer alone, but he also needs to have himself a sharp saw. So as long as you've got a hammer and a sharp saw, you can build just about anything. So now I've got to find my Wait, saw have you looked? Here. Have you looked over here? Steve, what am I looking for? Well, you're looking for a saw, Jeff. What kind of saw? A sharp saw. Well, in sharp, that's something you're not there, Steve. So I don't think you know if you can help me out much with that. I don't that. think so, Jeff. All right, let's see if I can find that uh, that sharp saw. It's got to be around here somewhere, everybody. Well, Jeff, would it look like this? Perfect, Steve. Perfect, perfect. Would you like a shave this morning? I don't think so, Jeff. All right, my fine furry friend here, Steve Williams, coming up with that. Steve, I was thinking. This is dangerous. I was... I was thinking, what if, what if there was a place where all of your tools were in one spot? Do you think it'd look like this, Jeff? Yeah, it might look just like that, Steve. You know, Jeff, this is a place where you can put all the tools you need and do anything you want to do to build that foundation. You're telling me there's a place where all your tools can be in one spot and you're not looking around for them all the time. It's called a toolbox, Jeff. It's called a toolbox, Steve? It's a toolbox right here. All your tools can be in one spot just waiting for you right there. It's called a toolbox. A toolbox? A toolbox. Well, how come you didn't tell me, Steve? <laughs> Have Steve a hand there. <laughs> now, you're going to want to come back every week of this series just to see if our, writing, our comedy writing improves, right? 
That's right. We're going to do a, a fall series called Tool Time, and um, what, I'm, what I'm hoping to be able to do is to uh, to help us as Christians figure out what are the tools we need to have in our in our tool bed, or, uh, um, so that the life that we lead with Christ, you know, there's some certain things that'll help us figure out how to be the people God has has called us to be. As we get into our Tool Time series, I want to start you out with a with a little bit of a story. Actually, um, it's a story about the um, most memorable, probably the most meaningful church experience of my uh, of my whole life. See, I've been going to church since uh, you know since I can remember. So I've got hundreds, if not thousands, of church services under my belt. And out of those thousands of different um, church services, there's one. There's one that sits at the top of that stack of that pile of church services. One that's the most meaningful and the most memorable church service I've ever, ever attended. It was the Sunday after Casey was born. Here we were, new parents for the first time, and we had this new baby, and we'd always been church-going people, so we wanted to go to church that morning. And so we tucked that nine-and-a-half-pound bundle of joy, I'm not kidding, under our, under our arm, and we um, went to church. We didn't go to the church we usually went to on Sunday mornings. Me being a pastor, I was on uh, paternity leave, and um, we just figured, you know, we would get mobbed if we came in there with this new baby. So we went to the Presbyterian uh, church across the street. Here's the thing, though. I'm telling you, it was the most memorable church service of my life. But I don't remember a thing that that pastor said that day. Not a single word of it. That pastor might have preached the one sermon I was meant to hear from the time I was born. But I didn't hear a single word of it. I don't remember a thing that pastor said. That pastor might have cracked open the entire mystery of life that day, and I missed it. I missed every bit of it. I don't remember a song that was sung or a prayer that was prayed, but I'm telling you of all the church services I've ever attended in my life, none was more important, none was more meaningful than that one church service, and I don't remember a single thing that was said. So why was it so important? I just needed to be there. I just needed to be there that morning. I don't remember a thing that was said. We were so preoccupied with this, um, with this newborn baby full of all of those emotions, joy and fear and overtiredness, that everything that that um, preacher said was lost. Every time that that little baby squawked or squealed, we were uh, attentive to that, that little child. So I missed everything that that preacher said. But it was so important to just be there. To be present in that space among God's people in that moment meant more to me and to Bridget and to our... I don't know if it meant anything to Casey, but we think it did than any other thing. It's a humbling realization for a preacher to realize that there are some Sundays you're not here to hear what I have to say. You're here because you need to be here. 
Just something about being here, about getting here, about being in the stained glass and being here when the organ plays. There's just something about getting here. Sometimes you just need to be here. Our scripture this morning tells us a story kind of like that. It's right there in Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter, and begins with the 28th verse. Hear this familiar story about the importance of just getting there. About eight days after Jesus said this, we'd have to read the story before that to know what that meant, he took Peter, John, and James with him up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. And then the men were leaving Jesus. Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were, as af- they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept to themselves and told no one at all at that time what they had seen familiar story maybe to some of us. We call it the transfiguration. And it's what I hope happens every Sunday when you get here. Is that somehow Jesus transfigures. That you see Him in a way maybe you've never seen before. You heard what happened in that story, right? Jesus took three of His disciples up onto the top of this mountain and they had worship. They had church. And what happened in that moment is Jesus appeared in a way none of them had ever seen Him before. And they saw Him in a new way and in a new light in a way maybe they'd never realized how He would look or how how He would be. It's my prayer that that happens every single Sunday. That in fact, the heavens do indeed part and the voice of God speaks to us clearly and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, are are present here among us. I pray that that's what you say happens every time that you leave here on Sunday. Is that what you say every time when you go? No, right? But that's our hope that something like that happens. And on that Sunday, on top of that mountain, three disciples... James and Peter and John got to experience worship in all of its glory. I wonder, how come only three of the twelve were there? What happened to the other nine? They decided to sleep in that morning? That perhaps it just wasn't a good morning to be there? I mean, the other nine had been there every week, week after week. Prior to that, but some way along the line, they weren't there that morning when that worship happened. I don't know, maybe the kids had a soccer practice, or maybe Michigan State played late the night before, and you know, Andrew was a big Michigan State fan, and so he wasn't there that morning when they led them to the top of the mountain. They weren't there. 
Maybe they just didn't feel like coming that morning. See, when we aren't there, we miss something. We have an opportunity to miss something. Being there and getting there is very important. My favorite theologian of all time, Woody Allen, says this. He says, 80% of life is showing up. 80% of life is showing up. 80%, perhaps, then of our Christian life is the same. 80% of it is showing up. Being present. Coming week in and week out for that hope that that one Sunday is going to come when the heavens split wide open and Jesus transfigures Himself for that Sunday for you. Friends, I need to tell you something. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, remember this. We, you and me, are made for community. Let me say that again. You and me, we are made for community. There's something missing when you're not here. You're missing. And we are not the same when you are not here. You and me, we are made for community. Every once in a while, I run into somebody who will say, You know, Pastor, I'm okay with Jesus. Me and Jesus, we got it down real tight. It's the church. I don't need the church. I got Jesus. I got my Bible. I got Joel Olstein at 8.30 on Sunday mornings. I can worship right there in the comfort of my living room. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. Friends, we are made for community. We need each other. There is a personal side to our faith. There needs to be a dimension where it's you and Jesus. There is a dimension where Jesus needs to be your personal Savior. But I'm here to tell you, if that's the end of your Christian experience, it's only going to get you so far. You and I are made for community. You and I are made to be together. I was reminded of that recently, of why we need to be in community together. There was a new Christian that I ran into, or at least someone who's new back to church, and she was so excited to get back into, into church and um, find this community that she ran out and got herself a Bible. And she went home to read that Bible all by herself, and she came back to me and said, Pastor, have you ever tried to read that Bible? It's crazy what's in that Bible. There are words in there I can't pronounce, I don't understand. There's crazy things going on in that Bible. And I said, well, let's talk about it together, in a group, in a community. We gave her some resources to, to take home, and the the, the experience of the community together helped her figure that, that out. If we're made for community, i tell you something else. 
We can't make it on our own. You can't do it by yourself. Christianity isn't a do-it-by-yourself experience. It isn't a do-it-by-yourself religion. And boy, I hope that feels good to hear. Hope that takes the pressure off of your back some. You and I can't do it by ourselves. And that's so opposite of the world in which we live in. The world we live in says you need to be a self-made person, right? you got to do it on your own. It says pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Have you ever tried to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Somebody told me you can't actually do it if you actually try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. God's made us for community, to be together in relationship. Everything about our faith is about being in community. The Bible itself was written for communities. Out of the 66 books of the Bible, only Philemon, Titus, Jude, and the two books of um, uh, Timothy were written to individuals. Every other book of the Bible was written to a community of people. To be experienced as a community of people. God tells Moses, go create a new community of people. So the world can see who I am through how they live together. Jesus calls a community of disciples to live and work and be together. Jesus' Spirit on Pentecost was given to a community of people. And God Himself, in the concept of the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exists As community. We are made for each other. We are made for community. It's like the toolbox. Community is the toolbox. Where all of us come and fit into one place all together. The church is God's community. God's toolbox. And if you're not in the toolbox, we're missing a tool. And we're running around looking for certain gifts. But when they're all in one place, together, in the community, something happens. How do you make community work for you? Community will work for you. As long as you know when you come in, first of all, what it is you need from community. What tool do you need? What help do you need? What assistance do you need on the trip? Most people come to church and the first thing they try to convince the pastor or try to convince each other is that we have it all together, right? You ever put on your um, Sunday face when you come in? I know I do dig into my bag and find my shiny, happy Jesus face, want to walk in and make sure that you know that I have it all together. And then you come to church week after week pretending you've got it all together. And then four or five or six weeks later, you finally say, boy, I've been going to that church all this time and it ain't helped me one bit. Church is a bit like marriage. 
It's taken Bridget's, or taken me, 10 years to convince Bridget that I can't read her mind. Right? It took me the first 10 years of marriage to convince her that if she needed me to pick up something that was on the floor, she might need to tell me, right? What shoes need to get picked up, Jeff? The shoes you've been walking over every day for the last month. You want me to pick those up? All you have to do is say so, and I, I can get those. I see uh, uh, John and Lori looking at each other very knowingly. I don't mean to meddle. We'll do a, we'll do a sermon series on marriage and relationships later in the year. But uh, um, church is the same way. It can't read your mind. If you come in here with, with needs, if you come in here saying, um, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure how I'm going to make ends meet right now. I don't know how we're, how we're going to get through this economic downturn. If you let the community know, oh, then the community might have the tools to help solve that problem. It may come in the terms of some short-term economic help, but more importantly, it may come through a network of people who will help you find new work or find new employment. The community works like that. If you come in and say, I got these three kids and I don't know what to do with them. They are driving me crazy. They are giving me gray hair. I just don't know what to do. The community can help you Figure out what to do in those moments. And if it can't help you figure out what to do, at least it will give you someone you can call and complain to who will understand and who will pray with you in that moment because we walk through this world, most of us, feeling like we've got it all on our shoulders and we've got to do it all by ourselves. We are made for community. Come into community and say, this is the tool's that I need right now, that I don't have. Let me tell you this. We don't have, none of us have all the tools we need to make it through this world on our own. But they're in God's toolbox. Called the church. Called the community. In the short period of time that I've been your pastor, I can't think of a single moment where we haven't let the community know of a need, either up front here on a Sunday or quietly behind the scenes, that you haven't taken care of the needs of the people of this congregation and the community around it. first way to take advantage of community is to know that you don't have all the tools to do it on your own and to be able to ask the community to help you with those things that you might need help with. The second thing about God's toolbox is to know that you, each and every one of you, God is equipped with a tool, with a skill, with a gift that's going to help the person you're sitting next to in the pew today. One of the most amazing things about the church is that you are often the very answer to the prayer of the person sitting next to you. But we don't believe that our little gifts and our little skills is going to make any difference in the life. So we tuck our gifts away and we hide them. We are made for community. Everything we already need, God has already given us right here in his toolbox called the church. You're going to hear me talk a lot about gathering this year, about getting together. Let me say this. When we gather for a meal, it's not just to eat. 
When we gather for a party, it's not just to celebrate. When we gather for a meeting, it's not just to meet. Every one of those opportunities is to bring the community together because the more we get together, the happier we will be. See, I knew somebody would know it. The more we get together, the happier we will be. Because you have something to offer, and I have something that I need. God has equipped us for community. So let us not be like the other nine disciples who missed the opportunity that day on top of that mountain. They missed the gathering. When God's people gather, do what you can to be there. Perhaps that's the most important tool you're going to get on this journey is the tool called community, called the toolbox. God's people all together. We cannot do it on our own, and we shouldn't try to do it. Remember this thing they taught us in Sunday school? Maybe they're learning it up there today. Remember? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. It'd be a shame if we kept that toolbox less than full. It'd be a shame if we never opened it. Open the doors and see all the people.